The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we're talking to Aaron Miller, who is a senior project manager at DCI Engineers. For those of you that don't know, I also work there. We're in the same firm, but we are in different offices. We will be talking about modular construction, what it is, and how it fits into the construction environment. I'm your co-host, Matt Picardle. And I'm your co-host, Kara Green. Now let's jump into our conversation of the week with Aaron Miller. Aaron, first, welcome to the show. So in your own words, can you please tell our listeners a little bit more about your experience and history as a structural consultant? Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. My name is Aaron Miller. I'm a senior project engineer with DCI Engineers. I specialize in modular construction. been doing it pretty much my whole career. It started when I graduated from University of Idaho in 2007. DCI actually hired me as my first job out of college. My principal engineer, uh, Troy Bean, he hired me. He had started working with some factories in Boise, trying to figure out a structural system to do multi-story wood modular. I worked on his projects when I was with DCI then. I was with DCI for about three years. Then during the, the whole economic downturn, I ended up switching jobs and I went and got a job at a subsidiary at DOE at the Hanford site in Eastern Washington. And my duties out there, I was more of a, an AHJ, an authority having jurisdiction. And part of my duties there was managing our huge fleet of remote offices, which were all modular units. That had just followed me as I changed jobs and then contacted Troy again to get my verification for my PE licensure. It was about 2012, I think. And he said, well, what are you doing now? You want to come back to DCI? And, and I've been with DCI ever since. And I've been working on modular the whole time. It's been some element of my whole professional career. Modular construction has been with you for so long and with different companies. That's pretty rare. I feel like you can work in different areas, especially if you change jobs. It's, it's a good way to get experience, but it's also a good way to specialize, it sounds like. It helped being on the other side of it, too, because as a consultant, we're just doing the design, the preparation of the construction documents. On the other side, I was responsible for always reviewing AEC calcs and drawings and just being on the other side of it. Yeah, getting both sides of that, I think that definitely helps uh, with the experience in terms of something specialized such as modular. I know that is a different type of uh, process from my experience, but it's definitely a specialty. You have uh, more than a decade's worth of experience in, in modular, as we've said in your introduction. Can you explain to us what modular construction is for the structural engineers and structural engineering students that may not be familiar with it? The modular construction I'm talking about specifically is volumetric modular. That's the term the industry is using to delineate an offsite construction technique that incorporates all the building systems or as many as you can, has all the MEP, has all the structure, 
interior finishes. If it's like, let's say a hotel has all the um, finishing and furnishings and equipments, all the FF&E that's delivered to the factory installed in the modular units before they're shipped to the site. It's just an offsite construction technique to try and incorporate as much as you can in the factory so that you can minimize the work in the field. That would delineate from other sort of offsite construction techniques such as you know wall panelization, floor panelization. I think you've seen a lot more of that. Precast concrete, you know, is an offsite construction technique everyone's familiar with. In terms of the way it works, it would be they use offsite construction techniques like in a factory to build these modules. I believe they're made out of uh, wood for the most part. And then they just plop them down, these units, on site. They're mostly made out of wood. They're also made out of structural steel, cold form steel, and shipping containers. And then volumetric also, like you said, Matt, it, it incorporates multiple levels. So you're stacking multiple units. A lot of what I do are wood buildings. So it's five stories or less or podiums, eight stories or less. But we also do steel and shipping container for mid-rise and high-rise. And just to clarify, because you made a mention of MEP, and I'm familiar with modular construction, having the openings already in the penetrations already in some of the modular construction. So are you saying there are mechanical, electrical materials already in that they just fasten together once everything's kind of locked in, or is it just the penetrations? It is all the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing lines and runs and equipment. It's all installed in the factory and it's routed to an accessible area on site. So the most typical way to do it is to leave the corridor unfinished and then just run everything as much as you can to the corridor, even dedicated shafts near the corridor. Quick story to show how much they put in there is we did marketing event for a a hotel in Pullman. It was a fully site built first floor and they brought out everybody in the morning and they set three modules. They brought everyone in for lunch. And then in the afternoon when we were having lunch, they actually installed a temporary stair and then they went and connected those modules. And then after lunch, we walked up into those modules, turned on the lights, ran the water. Everything is just ready to be hooked up. Single day installation. Yeah, that was a hotel too. So they made the bed and they hung the painting. And Do you have any, uh, I guess, comparisons between typical construction and modular construction in terms of the speed? I've heard some numbers, but I forget them off the top of my head. But just to give our listeners a comparison of the speed on how much this takes, could you compare that to a a typical non-modular versus modular in terms of construction speed? For a a podium in eight-story, like a five-story wood over three concrete or two concrete, it would probably be six to eight months construction schedule advantage. A lot of that comes from essentially, if you look at modular volumetric modular schedules, you can find them online. You'll see this sort of the same thing where entitlements, design, all the prep for the building is, is the same schedule. But then when you go and break ground and you're doing the site work, they're concurrently building modules in the factory. We've had projects where they coordinated it well enough where they, they started building modules before we even broke ground. And then they finished the podium. And then we were out, they had modules being delivered and being set seven days later after placing concrete. I think it just takes a couple days to complete everything. Like it took less than a day to get everything installed. So if you're looking for a four or five story apartment building, that could probably be done in a a few weeks instead of a a couple months, right? Yeah. In terms of setting the structure, they're for the most part, the exterior is left unfinished. 
So they'll still have to scaffold and, and finish the exterior. Although the modules will come with a, a waterproof membrane so that that can actually be incorporated into that part of the construction. It speeds up a lot of the structure, especially. The reason you reached out is because there we did that union project in Oakland, California. I wrote an article in Structures about that. And the reason that even came up is because someone that worked for Structures down in the Bay Area, they drive along the highway that the, where you can see the, that project. And they sent you drove by one week and then drove by the next week. And there was there were like four stories up. And so that caught their attention. I want to pivot a little bit, especially in regards to, you've mentioned a lot of modular projects that you've worked on. How has your experience working on modular projects shaped your approach to structural design? It's definitely changed the way I, I approach it. You know, with a, a site-built structure, there's a lot of components that can get coordinated a little bit later. We're probably used to like the elevator, not even seeing an elevator middle till, you know, the structure may even be up for a wood building, but with the modules, everything is installed in the factory. So everything that gets attached to the modules needs to be coordinated up front. And then it really makes you think about the construction sequencing, because as these modules get set, there's a lot of areas that become inaccessible. If we're a wood building, we need to understand the direction that they're setting the modules. You know, if they're going like this, we're only going to have access to one area of it temporarily. And so we'll need to coordinate if we have a shear wall load path, we'll need to coordinate to get our connections into that inaccessible area while they're setting. If they switch the set direction after a permit for whatever reason, maybe it can save with a crane time and swing arm because they'll do a whole analysis to try to minimize how much they're swinging the arm of the crane. We'll essentially have to update our structural drawings to switch all our shear walls from one party wall to the other wall. It just really makes you think about accessibility and sequencing. In that aspect, it's, it's really made me think ahead. We've had to just develop a lot more detailed like needs lists and preliminary. I even just send out Bluebeam markup where I'll, I'll do the site plan and I'll just say, I'm assuming the crane is here based on the streets and this is where you're going to pick the modules and this is the direction we're setting. And then we'll just set that assumption so that if they change it, they'll know that it's at least important enough to, the structural engineer made these assumptions and we need to update them. From the typical design, I guess, of a typical building, it seems like that's a whole nother aspect that is pretty much essential to the design of modular, knowing how they're going to construct it on the field because the, the project is, uh, the deadlines are, are so fast. I guess that's one aspect you need to have more expertise in and how you get into the uh, become a modular expert, knowing how they plop everything down. And if that's not anticipated, it can cause a delay in, in the modular, which is kind of the opposite of what you want to do for that type of building. Yeah, definitely. The experience and expertise helps for sure. But you really need to have that motivation to want to put in the extra work because it is more work. You can't go into the design of a modular building expecting to do the same amount of work or even the same amount of scope that you'd be expecting for a site-built building. For engineers that are in the industry and, and they're looking to get into modular, like how important is training and maybe experience for modular design? Because I'm pretty sure no schools really teach modular design at this point. So how does one even get into that? How important is training? What training do you need? Or what's your opinion on that? No schools do train it or have classes for it because there really isn't even an established design methodology in the sense that it really just comes down to 
understand the sequence and the accessibility because with a wood building, it's still a wood building. You're doing wood shear walls, wood diaphragms, load bearing, stud walls, joist beams. It's all the same. It's just where does it go? And can you incorporate those components into the factory construction? There's some information out there. Myself and other structural engineers who are experienced, they've done presentations. I've done presentations for woodworks about it. There isn't a whole lot of material where you can just go look and find it out. It's something you have to think through. You have to look at a detail and then really understand the load path. Think about what's going where. Why does this nail need to be here? Can I get access to install this component on site or is it going to be drywalled and finished? There isn't like a manual. Since it is fairly new or I think it's getting more and more popular. There's no like wood manual on typical details and whatnot. It's still pretty new and you'd probably be like what you were saying, using your wood design basics on detailing and whatnot to come up with uh, these details that may not have been done before. Yeah. Every factory has a slightly different way they want to do it because they're trying to maximize their efficiency. And being in modular construction for 10 years, I can tell you that I've been doing R&D this entire time. There's not a moment where we're not doing R&D or where you know the factory engineers or their supervisors send me a question like, oh, hey, can we do this? We're looking at this. Can we do this? For example, this sort of the maximum size box that's generally accepted is a, a 15 foot by 72 foot footprint. And so for a long time, we were just using 60 foot rims for the uh, long side of it and then splicing it as needed. Or uh, some of the factories in Boise can actually get 72 foot rims because they're so close to the manufacturer. But then, you know, a factory came to us and said, we want to just build the first like 15 or 20 feet from the corridor. And we just want to build tons of them and reuse them. And so then essentially, you know, our those rims, which they are a pretty important component because they provide stiffness for the box during the transportation and install. But they also act as cords and collectors for the overall building diaphragm. In that case, we had to figure out how to, to splice all those to make sure our load path was insured and try to coordinate where all those splices were going to occur, which for them, fortunately, it was just, hey, we're going to build this same square every single time. and We're just going to stack them up and we just grab one. And when we have a, a module going down the line. I'm not super familiar with modular design. Sounds as though it's fairly new. I know it's becoming more important right now with construction timelines. Modular design is picking up speed, but it sounds as though design, based on your comments, it's a lot of engineering judgment, R&D design in the background, and that there's currently no codified way of modular design in analyzing the structure. So it sounds like you've actually learned a lot of lessons in your career. So you've touched on a few things. So learning, of course, accessibility, learning the different timelines that you have to work within And then, of course, that sounds as though you have to be very open-minded in the construction process to help facilitate, you know, communication between the manufacturer as well as yourself. So outside of those, what are some additional lessons you've learned from your past modular projects that you've worked on? I'll definitely answer that question. I wanted to touch on something you said at the beginning, where you said there is no codified code for modular There are entities that are attempting to produce that. The Modular Building Institute, MBI, they are trying to get some sort of codes and standards set up. There's some, mostly manufacturers, trying to get information into the IBC, especially for like corrugated sheet steel shear walls is something that's a shipping container guys would really like to get. 
So there's a little bit out there, but there's no specific standard or one size fits all. There's no IBC for it. I know that there are committees with IBC that, you know, work on these types of processes. Do we have a general idea of like a code cycle or do you have any information about that? I don't know. I believe the 2021 IBC will have a little information on shipping containers specifically, but even then I I believe it's limited to a single story. It'll be engineering judgment or alternative basis, alternative means and methods. That's what we've had to do for one four-story shipping container in Berkeley, California. To your question for lessons learned, there've definitely been a lot of lessons learned, (laughs) hence the constant development and constant R&D. One big lesson learned early is how to orient the modules. So generally the the most efficient layout for a module is a double loaded corridor, meaning if you have a rectangular building, there's a corridor down the center and then there's living units on either side. And so you take a slice out of that long building, you take a 12 foot, 15 foot slice of that building, you have units on each side of corridor. It's the most efficient. We've had projects that wanted to turn those modules 90 degrees. And with the idea being that you can save on overall modules built, hence save on transportation costs. The issue that we've learned with that is what you do there is you then introduce all this site work that wouldn't have occurred. Because if you think about the first slice I said, if that's a hotel, those units are completely finished. There's no pass-throughs, there's no on-site JIP finishing or anything within the units. But if you turn them, you now have to go in after the modules are set, finish the floor, both walls and the ceiling. That was a a lesson learned where we did think about it. We said, hey, this is going to be more site work. But the team decided, well, I think this is going to be worth it because we're saving. We're only having to build 80% of the modules you would otherwise. But then, you know, after that project, everyone sat at a table and said, we're never doing that again. I mean, there's things like that where you can anticipate issues and the sequencing and you just sometimes make the wrong decision. And so you just learn from it and you, you move on to making sure for future projects that it's not done again. And, and I've had that conversation many times with new people getting into who have that idea. And I very just flatly say, you can do this, but don't do this. There's been a lot of lessons learned with the construction support. As structural engineers, we provide construction support when they're on site, but with the factory, you're also providing a construction support for the factory. So we've had to try to incorporate more observation visits for the factory and the site. You're trying to get that all to work out. And then in the factory, you also need to pay really close attention to their schedule and try to schedule staff to be available because construction support, you're already working against the schedule, but in a factory environment, If there's an issue, let's say at the floor station, which is usually the first station, and you take five business days to respond to, that box is has walls and a ceiling and you can't even get to the floor because it's at the other end of the factory. It requires the ability to look ahead and to plan for it, but then also really good communication between you and the factory. Another big important lesson learned is there's this whole jurisdictional aspect of of this sort of construction that we haven't talked about where there's two jurisdictions that have to perform the review and also perform inspections. So I'll use California because they have a pretty well-established jurisdictional scope. They have an entity, HCD, and they're the state entity that they oversee the offsite construction. Factory-built housing is what they call it in that state. When you're in a city, the local jurisdiction 
they'll have a scope. Like if for a podium, it's real easy because the local jurisdiction can say top of concrete and down will review and will inspect. That's what they'll be responsible for. And then HCD can say, okay, everything above the concrete will review, will inspect the components that are built in the factory. But then how you tie them together, the local jurisdiction has to be responsible for those inspections but they inspect it against the, the state approved drawing. So it's like this really gray area that you need to delineate. We've learned that you really need to clarify that early in the design. And we've met many jurisdictions with the architects where we go in and say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what the scope we're expecting you to do. And then just really having to push that at the very beginning to say, this is the scope delineation. In that same sense, we've also moved away from having a single set of drawings. So we have two sets of drawings too. And essentially every detail, you have to draw two details. So we used to have a single detail and it would say factory built this, site built this, site installed this. But now we just separated them and grade one out and only show the factory installations and the factory structural components. And then the other detail will only show what's done on site. That really helps as well to delineate that scope for the jurisdiction, but mostly for the builder, the end user. One of the key lessons is a lot of communication at the very beginning, which I think is facilitates an easier construction process for everyone involved. It's funny because that's one of the advantages that you'll see about modular construction is better collaboration just because it necessitates it. But that's kind of something that could apply to any construction project, any construction technique. (laughs) There should be more collaboration early. Going into those lessons learned in terms of modular, I think you kind of summarized it there with those uh, responses. It's really fast. Because it's so fast, you need to be really good on the communication, like you stated, in terms of uh, construction administration and really knowing about the construction process. Even the way you go about your drawings, it, it has construction in mind in terms of the offsite and the onsite. We're still figuring it out as uh, structural engineers, like there's no codified sections yet. So it is something that is fairly new and it's taken off. But like you mentioned, it's still wood design, but really getting into more of the connections and really the construction processes. I think it really requires the engineer to be really in tune with what the factory is doing and and what they're doing on site. So I think that overall makes you a, a better engineer. What piece of final advice can you give young professionals and students looking to get into specifically modular? Are there any, I guess, career advice that you could give them or career paths, maybe working in construction or institutes or whatnot, uh, if they're really interested in modular and want a career in modular? I'll just throw out a few pieces of advice and see what sticks. Definitely get involved with any institutions you can find. Modular Building Institute is one. There's a lot of free information on their website. Definitely keep your mind open and don't just learn the materials that you need to design to and the systems that were are well established, but don't think that there's only one way to build them and try to really envision the construction. And this isn't just for modular, this is any young engineer out there. I don't feel like we train them necessarily to think about how things go together. We train them code and design. But really try to think and ask the senior engineers around you, is this buildable? I can build this for any any detail. It doesn't have to just be modular. There have been more and more educational seminars about modular construction. I know some of our architect friends in California have done presentations and gone to colleges, the TC architectural schools. And then there's plenty of conferences I've been to where 
there's actually a lot of students that have, have come by. I can't remember. There's a specific series that they do it every year and they do it all over country. Offsite construction, something it escapes me right now, but I've seen lots of students at those. Was that like a specific design competition, like a, a modular design competition that's hosted at, at schools? That's pretty interesting. It was just more presentations and vendors could come and, and talk about their products. There's a lot of vendors that specifically have this sort of construction technique in mind for their products. Yeah, I know the architects are definitely looking at that. I know there's, they even have some competitions on modular. So they have, I've seen one where students, it's like an architectural and maybe an engineering one for students. And then they tell you, hey, here's, we're going modular. Tell us how to do it. And then I think all of the industry professionals, it's supposed to be for the students, but I guess all the industry professionals watch and see if they can get new ideas from the students. And it's like a competition. I've seen that with CLT too. So it's like, it's good for the students, but probably a lot of the professionals are, are like getting that fresh perspective of students that really know what they're doing, but they might have some good ideas because they are so new. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. I know you made a mention of like, is there a competition? I was like, there should be for sure. Cause it would be really cool to see. <laughs> You'll get some really good ideas. And they did do something like that. The housing development consortium, which is an entity here in Seattle for affordable housing. They had a competition where they had multifamily residential project and they gave it to three teams. They were architectural and some engineers and said, Hey, figure out how to make this modular. So there is stuff like that going on. Just got to look out for it. Thanks so much, Aaron. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, talking about modular design. I know that's one of the hot topics right now. And we'll link your bio and we'll link your article in the description. So thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, thanks for the invite. It was a pleasure meeting you both and talking. hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or any questions you may have. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 62, as well as links to any of the other resources, websites, books that were mentioned during this episode. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.